Welcome back to How to Sell an Agency, the podcast sharing the journey of founders who built, then sold their agency business. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Riddle. If you already know Jamie, it's probably his co-founder of Escaping Gravity, an agency that delivers global SEO to challenger brands. Escaping Gravity isn't Jamie's first agency, though, and our conversation was centered more on his first one, Cheese. For anyone who, like me, has been hanging around on the internet since the 90s, Jamie's story is probably going to reignite a few long dormant neurons. But there is also great wisdom amongst the nostalgia. I probably remind myself several times every month, but I'm never starting another agency. So it's particularly interesting to hear how Jamie's done that and how hindsight has changed the approach second time around. Jamie Riddle with his story on how to sell an agency. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the How to Sell an Agency podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. I became aware of your journey through, well, through your Brighton SEO talk, which we were both on the bill last October. You gave a, a great talk, which when I was listening, you can probably still check out if you're a, a member of Brighton SEO. You gave a great talk, which was a real nostalgia trip for me as you kind of stepped through a lot of your kind of digital life. You know, setting up in the 90s and, and the various steps you went through on that. And yeah, re- really good talk. Did you enjoy doing the talk? Yeah, I did. I did. I've done two or three of those talks in, since we sold the agency. I, I'm not really that bothered about speaking and trying to inspire others. But I think it's just interesting sometimes to go back and remember. And I think for me, my journey was very much bootstrapped. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think it's useful to remind people that we can do it. It is possible, but it's not glamorous. It's not easy. We now have the world of the the growth hacker out there. And therefore, sometimes it's useful to actually take a a reality check and remind people that it can be done, but it's not easy, not glamorous. Yeah. Uh, No, I think it's great. I would recommend if anyone's listened to this and finds the story interesting to go and get hold of the recording of that and have a listen and find the missing bits. Because we'll mostly be talking about one part of that journey today. Obviously, yeah. there, was a, there was a lot more to it. So the podcast is How to Sell an Agency. The agency you sold, Cheese with a Z, which I mostly learned about through that talk, made me start with just a bit of scene setting. I was one of the first people to buy digital marketing in the UK. I got a job fixing the computers in a marketing agency, an advertising agency in London in 96, late 96. My goal had always been that I wanted to be in the internet, which was in 96, very early. So it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to get into advertising, but I ended up doing internet as an advertising agency. And when the phone rang to say, who does your internet advertising? All fingers pointed at me. So there you go. I became the internet expert. I guess Um, in 96, we were still in the the days of information superhighway. Yeah. Yes, so I think cover-mounted discs for AOL and CompuServe were the order of the day. So the, the number of advertising opportunities in the UK wasn't that many, but it was a good opportunity, and I learned very quickly how to do online advertising. And part of that journey was was meeting my future business partner and wife, Catherine, who uh, has more experience in advertising. Together, we concocted the strategy of, of doing online advertising, so we... Started. I started doing it in '96. One of the first people to buy advertising. By 1999, this was a growing industry. We had our daughter coming, and I was commuting five hours a day to London in the days before 
mobile phones and proper laptops. So I decided that now was the time to build my own agency, get paid to do what I loved, where I wanted to do that, which was in Suffolk. And I guess to prove some people wrong, who told me the internet was not going to catch on, it wasn't going to be the next big thing, you couldn't possibly build your own business. So I did. I guess it. So 96 is the point year for me. That's when we started as well. We went into web development rather than advertising. I would imagine selling online advertising was difficult or beyond difficult back then. I remember banging on doors and telling people what the internet was and then what the web was and then why they needed a website. You must have faced those challenges and then the additional one of, and this is how advertising is going to work in this this new world as well. Yeah. We were on the buying side. We were planning and buying advertising for our clients. But yes, trying to convince them that the internet was going to be a thing was difficult. But in every business, every industry, there are people that get it and people that don't. And the goal is to trust people, to, to find people that trust you enough to take that leap for you. In the first couple of years before I set up my own business, I found a few people that, that trusted me and believed and saw the results. And then when it was time to set up my own agency, our own agency, I must say, I'll come back to that in a second. There was one person in particular that I called and said, I'm about to do my own agency. Do you want to come with me as my first client? She said, yes. And that was enough to hand my notice in and start the agency. Now, this is really important. If I talk about I, then you'll have to forgive me because it's a we. The agency was set up in 1999 by myself and Catherine, my wife and business partner. We're now going to our third business together, but we've always built businesses together. We have complementary skill sets. I love the new stuff and the technology and the big ideas. She loves the process and the, I mean, the strategy of business, as well as being fantastically good at marketing in her own right. So was, we build the business together. We bootstrap the business. We set it up together. So it was two of us. We made the joint decision to start up the agency. She kept going with a proper job while well, I got this off the ground for the first year or so, after which there was enough money to justify her coming on board full-time. And that's when we started to really accelerate. So we, not me. Okay. We've got that covered. I won't edit that out as you, you'll be on the sofa tonight. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, great combination. Nice to be going through that journey. Well, I guess two sides to it, going through a journey together. I suppose you have to... You've got the support when it's needed, but I guess also probably take over the whole lot. There's no break from it. There's no switch off. We're, we're lucky. We moved out to Suffolk. We had a weekend place. We were living in London. We moved out when our daughter was on her way. So we've always had a, a reason to stop at the end of the day. And that's always been a good a sort of balancer, if you like, for not having to do 24-7. Although I think there are days where we could both happily do that. Yeah. So it's nice to have that. But yes, it's, it is great having my business partner so close. There's the, an element of trust you will never get with any other form of business partner, I believe. And aren't I lucky to have someone with such a complementary skill set that works? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, the podcast is about selling. Mm-hmm. When you formed the agency, was there ever any plan? to build something to sell at the outset on no, your radar? No clue at all. Someone actually said to me, what's your exit strategy? I couldn't even Google that because Google wasn't around it. So no, the goal was 
to get paid to do the job I loved and to tuck my daughter into bed every night. Now, back in those days, there was no internet marketing industry in Suffolk. There was no a thriving industry here. So the only way I was going to do that is either commute to London or do it myself. So that was the goal. There was never any consideration of building to sell exit strategy. I just wanted to do the job I love, prove that I can do it, maybe prove a few doubts is wrong, and see where that takes it. And it took us on a roller coaster for a few years. We started in 99. Dot-com crash was about a year later. So any form of nascent confidence in online was shattered. Then we had 9-11, which for an agency that had primarily travel clients was not great. We watched the terrible news, closed the office, picked up our daughter and thought, well, that's the end of that. There's not going to be a business in the morning. Of course, other people were having much tougher times than we were. Roll forward, got through that, got through the dot-com bust, and then we started to grow. We started to prove to clients that this could be accountable, could be profitable. And because at those days, we were buying media and we were taking a percentage of the media spend, if we could take a client from spending 20 grand to a million pounds, then that's how you get into the top 100 of the tech track. Yeah. So having gone through those ups and downs throughout the life of the business, how how did the business change over, over that span? Going from the two of you founding it and one of you working full-time in it start, what did the journey look like and where did you get to with it? I think we, we've always been cautious. That's very much something that we've always done. We've always been unashamedly cautious in how we do things and we build it very much on our income and our growth, so we've never taken any investment. First couple of years, quite tough. Maybe there was a couple of us working there. And it was only after about four years did things really start to take off when we suddenly got to the point that we had, I think, 30 team members had our height across three offices, Suffolk, Leeds, and London. And we grew the business. We started as digital direct marketing. Well, we remained as digital direct marketing, but we grew from buying banner ads as they were back then to doing a lot of search activities, so Overture back in those days, MSN and then Google came and ate everything, but also building up SEO as, a, as an opportunity and starting to look at other streams of income. The view is always that clients will have a certain budget for online advertising, but they may have a separate budget for SEO. They may have a separate budget for creative or viral games as it was back yeah. in those days. And we wanted to ensure for the security of our business that we had as many relevant fingers in pies, as, re- as many relevant income streams as possible, which is how uh, my role evolved, certainly. The business grew, my role evolved, I became director of innovation. Uh, we, we quickly identified that Catherine was much better running the business uh, in those days than me, so I became director of, of innovation. And that's when we started to get a lot of attention, talking about Web 2.0, as it was back then early, early, early social media. And that was a really good opportunity to get visibility for what we do, um, build the conversation into the wider thing, which still remained uh, search, SEO, that type of thing. So we grew as a business um, and we grew very quickly in a very short space of time. We were right, we were listed in the Tech Track 100, two years running, which is kind of bonkers. 
And that really is when, when the phone started to ring with people saying, do you want to be poor? So is, is that how it happened? Had you, had you really been thinking about selling at all before the phone started ringing or? Catherine had been watching. Catherine's a very wise head. She'd been through a couple of recessions and felt there was another one coming. So this was heading towards 2007. And she felt that the agency would be better positioned if it was part of a bigger entity or group. So it wasn't about financial gain. It was about ensuring the stability and survivability, if that's even a word, of the business being part of a bigger group. And we'd already started to work with some other uh, agencies trying to build out our propositions. So it was more a decision to accept the phone calls yeah. rather than to actually go and look for a buyer. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So why do you think it was that these companies were ringing your phone? What was it about cheese that kind of had, had appeal? Well, a couple of things. We were highly profitable, good turnover, independent, privately owned. That's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. We had some IP. We built our own bid management tool called Bidimizer, uh, which back in those days was actually a bunch of Dell servers at the back of the office running stuff, but that was enough to be IP. And the visibility in being in, in the Sunday Times Tech Track 100. So I think, I think it was a combination Bigger agency groups were looking at digital and thinking we need to expand very quickly our presence. As we remember, a lot of big agencies were quite slow off the mark to do this. And therefore, there was going to be an element of consolidation in the market where businesses were acquiring the new dot-com startups, the new challenger agencies, because that's the quickest way to grow a service offering and the credibility. So I think it was a mixture of things. The numbers in TechTrack 100, I think, was probably the the starting point. Yeah. Because that we were we never had invested much in our own PR in the early days. We couldn't afford it. Yeah. So we we were kind of what well, we'd like to say that best kept secret. You knew about us. You loved us, but for a long time we were still doing new business calls. Hello, we're Cheese, we're Digital Direct Marketing, blah, 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 blah. So I think the Sunday Times Take Track 100 catapulted us into the spotlight. Yeah. And that, that There was a few phone calls before that. Some American businesses came over and they, they knew of me from other conversations. So there was a couple of conversations, but not serious ones. I guess the Tech Track listings, both visibility and credibility in one kind of one hit, isn't it? I you know, think doing it two years in a row. Yeah, that's a real standout at that point. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's bonkers, you know? You look back at it now. Well, you go and look at Take Track 100 now, the criteria to get into that, no chance. So you eventually sold to DMG. What was it about their phone call? If you'd taken a few calls already by that point, was there a, a difference from the outset when you started speaking to them? I think there was a few considerations. We'd got calls from American companies, which would have been very sexy, very amazing. But if we go back to the original goal of building an agency so we could get paid, do the job we love, and still tuck our daughter in bed. Yeah. Americans have a different culture. 
and I wasn't ready to, to join that culture. It's not that I didn't want to work hard, not that I didn't have a lot to offer. Again, we, not me, but wasn't sure that we were going to be the right fit. Yeah. When DMG called, we already knew some of their partners. We already admired some of the agencies that were part of that group. So Digital Marketing Group was a, a group of companies that was growing. A chap called Ben Langdon, who was a legend in the advertising industry, had come together to put this vehicle together. And I think every six months, he was buying two agencies at a time. So we were in the second tranche. It was incredibly yeah. amazing what he did. So the first two agencies he knew, one was a Swindon-based company called Impulse, who were like the hot ticket for viral games at the point. And I loved their work. Yeah. I absolutely loved their work. So that was one of the, the attractions was they've already got a track record. They've got people that I want to work with anyway. And that was a good opportunity. And then we were excited about where it could go because the goal would with DMG was to bring in excellence in all areas. So there was viral games, there was web development, there was a call center for all things, which I thought was, was absolutely bang on. I thought that was just genius. Then there was, when we were acquired, we were in one room and then the other room was a company called J-Wing. Okay. J-Wing, the data specialist in Derby. They, the group is now called J-Wing. They've taken that name. But they were red hot data analysts, super Super, super smart. So I could see this group coming to boot together, which you know, now as the Avengers assemble is every, all the component parts are going to be potentially massive and valuable working together. So that was, that was an exciting conversation. Well, what was it about cheese that they were looking for as to, to make up part of that Avengers team? The opportunities for best in class direct digital marketing, foothold in, in the rapidly growing paid search business. So excellent client relationships that could be nurtured to effectively, I guess, upsell. Mm. If, you, if, you, if you do a simple matrix of your clients and your services and their clients and their services sticking together, there's going to be an upsell opportunity. And, and I, I'd like to think also that you know, some, some fantastic directors that they wanted on their team have to be myself. Um, I, I think it's just we were a component part, yeah, and, and because we didn't, we weren't like a full service agency. It wasn't like there was going to be a lot of overlap yeah. between what the different agencies did. We did one thing really well; someone else did another thing really well. Therefore, the combination becomes really valuable. How well did they know you? already at that point? Had you had contact or was it literally a, a, a call out the blue and the conversation started at that point? There is a call out the blue and the conversation. Wow. And then ha how long did those conversations continue before it started? Well, I guess how long was the whole thing really from contact made to deal done? I think it's going to be almost a year. I remember Catherine did the due diligence and it was a good it was a good six, if not nine months of, from offer to due diligence, to discussions, to actually getting to the point we were in a room together to sign and proof. And what I know we're going back a little while now, but yeah. your, how, how was that year? How, how much did that impact on kind of the, 
existing running of the business compared with doing getting the deal done. I think it was a, a big distraction for Catherine. She had to put a lot of extra time into that. So we didn't see much of Catherine for a good six months. I would pick up our daughter, bring her home, feed her, and then I'd jump back on the laptop when she'd gone to bed and Catherine would still be working in the office. So it is, it was a major distraction. It's really, really tough. And, and I have to, to pay credit to, to Catherine for the amount of time and effort she put through. Some of the due diligence questions are the same question three times in three different ways, but you still have to answer them. Yeah. It's always tough when one of your largest clients also chooses to serve notice during your due diligence. Ouch. That's enough to give you a few gray hairs. And a couple of clients said, well, I'm not too sure about you selling to someone else. I'm not really, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to give you the positive answers because I want you to stay as you are. So yeah, I'd, I'd say a good year. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a fairly public conversation happening while it was ongoing, was it? Where people were aware Super private. We, I think we took our associate directors into our confidence probably six weeks before okay. it was going to happen. No, this was, this was very much closed door private conversations. We never publicly stated that we were for sale. Mm. If anyone asked us, we'd say, no, we are private, independent, rapidly growing. Don't need to sell. But if you'd like to have a conversation, that's another story. So from what you're saying of the way DMG saw you being involved, I'm guessing this wasn't a case of take a case full of money and run. I assume you were quite involved in the organization ongoing. That was the plan. Plans are always different to reality. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge, without going too far off piece, is you buy six agencies in... 18 months, yeah. you give them a, a wad of money and then an earnout, which is focused on their targets. So suddenly you've got six companies with six different earnouts and targets. So it's almost like rather than putting together, everyone's going in their own direction to ensure they hit their targets. So actually what, in my experience, the sum of the past didn't necessarily have up. Yeah. We, we, we delivered everything that we needed to deliver yeah. against our targets. And it you know, kept going for a while. There was, I still bought into the business and, and lots of opportunities. But at some point, you look at it and say, well, things have changed. I've changed. Yeah. You know, it's like having an overnight success in an album. Your lifestyle changes. You start singing about wanting to make it big and, and, and having a big car. And then suddenly you've got all those things and your priorities change. Yeah. I get asked a lot about how people work out valuations. How do you set a price? Now, look, I've never asked anyone to discuss actual numbers because that gets uncomfortable for all. But in terms of how a price or how, not even a price, but how the deal was agreed, what do you recall kind of what the mechanics were, how the base price was set? And also really, I suppose, whether that kind of changed as that year of doing the deal went on. To be fair, I don't think the offer changed that much while we were going through it. I think the valuation was a percentage multiple of EBITDA broadly. Yep. The biggest discussion was then there's a lot of a lot of valuation which was well after the deal and then you, on your earn out you earn the massive stuff. 
And, and our argument was always, but you're buying it now. Therefore, I don't want the cream later. I want the cream now because it's worth that now. So it was really down to valuation of the existing business, as well as having some form of goal, but not low valuation and massive exit on the other side. I didn't think that was acceptable. Burden the hands worth two of the push. Yeah, right. Do you think, had you built the agency with selling in mind from the outset, do you think there was many kind of leaders you could have pulled to really influence that valuation? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Having now built company number three, still not building it to sell it, just it's fun and I've got nothing else to do. Can't play golf. I don't think I would change it. When I sat down in the early days of this third business, Escape and Gravity, and I saw someone speak and talk about what you need to do to structure your business to be valuable, I thought, my goodness, that's what we do anyway. No one taught us that. It was just, that's what we're doing anyway. Tick, 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 tick. So that was a bit of a revelation, a bit of a confidence boost. Yeah. When you're going into to business number three. So no, I don't think so. I think for us, it was knowing our value and sticking to it. It wasn't like we were actively going to the market and going for the highest bidder, but it was really just a consideration of what is the business valued or the value of the business now over and above or under the earner. Yeah. Blitzing the two out. Then there's a conversation about how much do you want in shares and then how much do you want in cash? Or in cash, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There's as much cash as we could possibly agree because you can do something with that. Yeah. So when was the big kind of celebratory moment for you? Was it deal done or was it an out completed? I think it was when I left. Yeah. And of course, that's the thing is that I don't think there was ever a big you know, celebratory popping champagne. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we did the deal, I think we did two nights in London, got on the train back to which we asked the team to hang around and, and meet us for a beer afterwards. So I think they smell the rat by then. Yeah. I think we had a warm glass of, or a warm cup of gin and tonic on the train home. Then I explained to the team what was going on. I remember the next morning waking up and my car was in for repair. So I had to walk across three fields in the countryside to go and get it. Still feed the dogs, still empty the dishwasher. And then the big task, you know, suddenly you didn't own the company anymore. Someone else was calling the shots. So I don't think there was a big celebration. When we hit the earnout, that was lovely. I think is when I finally left. So Catherine left slightly earlier than I did. When I left, when we finally, you know, that was us leaving the business. There were tears when I left, to be honest, because it was something I built from scratch. I loved the job. I loved the company. I loved the team. And so our celebration was, was getting on a plane to Australia. I said, I didn't want to wake up on Monday morning here. So we woke up somewhere over the Atlantic. Not a bad way of doing it, is it? Bad way of doing it. So, yeah. But I don't think you see it in the telly programs, don't you? You know, big champagne, let's go and be on a yacht and everything else. Still got work to do. You still got kids to raise. You still got dogs to feed. Yeah. The anticlimax moment almost, isn't that? Yeah. yeah. But life had changed. When you suddenly get an email from your bank members, and, oh my God, have you seen what's in your account? <laughs> Actually, I have, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah and it makes a change that the, the call is those words, and it's a positive thing. No, oh my God, have you seen what's in your account? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the other crazy thing is back in those days, the interest rate was like 5%. So you put a lot of notes in your bank account with 5%. I was struggling to buy 1% when I, uh, I got my payout, and I was moving things around. Struggling to get a one. Yeah. So when was that? So when did you finally exit? And then seven, 
January 2007, we sold. Okay. I think I left in 2009. So big fast forward then. I know you've yeah. done a lot in between and apologies for I'm going to skip over right. it. I'll leave it right But well, you've built two agencies since then. So I, I like yeah. to sometimes like joke with people, are you are ever going to start an agency again? But there's no point. You're clearly a habitual agency founder. So tell me a, a little bit about Escaping Gravity, your current agency. Escaping Gravity is a global SEO consultancy for challenger brands. We just do SEO. We do it really, really well. And we work with some amazing challenger brands. Why do we work with challengers? Well, that's kind of been my life forever. Mm-hmm. I've always been the underdog, the challenger. And therefore, I understand that mentality. And also, when you start an agency, you need a some form of USP. So why don't we go with that? But one of the things, why did I set up the agency? Because no one give me a job. <laughs> now, I know some people might be saying, but you don't need a job. And financially, maybe I don't. But that's not the point. I'm not yet 50. I know, whatever. I'll live near a 60, whatever. I tried to get a job because I thought, wouldn't it be great to take my experience and my skills mm-hmm. and use it to support other people? But what I got was, you're too much of a generalist. You're too much this. You're not enough that. Well, what experience have you actually got in X, Y, and Z sector? Or, this is my baby. I don't want you taking it from me. To which my response was, that's fine. I don't want, I want to, to take it from you. I've built businesses. I don't want to do it again. Thank you very much. So Escaping Gravity started as a consultancy for me. Mm-hmm. For me to do great work with clients and for the clients to pay me and for me to have a life and an income. At the top of our conversation, before we started recording, we were talking about my, my thinking chair yeah. in the back of this picture. And that was the plan. Think and read and maybe occasionally those, but also do some great work. I haven't sat in that for months because I have to be quite good at what I do. And more and more clients wanted to come work with us. And I can't turn away business. I can't turn away good business having come from scratch. So here we are, there's almost 10 of us across the UK. We're doing great work for challenger brands, SEO, clients on the top of Google, the UK, USA, bit of Germany, bit of France, and I'm enjoying the ride. So Brilliant. That's- How much has the new, the way you're building and approaching the new agency been informed by kind of lessons from your previous two goes? Massively informed. There are shortcuts. We, we skip straight to, this is how we do it. Yeah. How we structure the business in terms of paperwork and contracts and process. That is really valuable. We're not making some of the mistakes we had earlier. Lots of learnings, lots of experience. We know how this works. But I think one of the biggest things is the confidence and the perspective to not go down every bump in the road, not to feel every bump because we've been here before. We started this year with you know, nationally, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? If you've done an agency through a few recessions, you've got a rough idea what's going to happen. You've got a rough idea what you want to think about to ensure that you come out at the, at the other end in, in the right shape. So absolutely, everything that I've done, or everything we've done, influences everything that we do today. So for those who haven't got the advantage of having done it twice before, maybe someone's listening, first agency, looking ahead. What advice could you give them that would help them benefit from a bit of that experience? The single most important piece of advice I can give to anybody is to focus on your cash flow. 
if you have cash, you can do most things. If you don't have cash, then you're beholden to your clients or your creditors or whatever else that's going to come out of the woodwork. So we were talking about interest rates a couple of moments ago. If a client wants a discount, can you offer them a discount for prepayment or early payment? Yeah. Get the money in now. Don't wait 14 days. Don't wait 30 days. Don't wait 60 days. Get the money in now, offer a discount, and then you have money to play with. And I think if you've got money, everything else can be sorted, so long as you've got your paperwork sorted out. That's number one or number two of rule. Ensure you've got contracts for your clients, for your staff. It ensures that everybody knows what is expected, both in terms of delivery and liability and responsibility and payment. Get those two things sorted and everything else will be a bit easier. I think that's a great note to end on and, and really timely with the uncertainty going on at the moment. So hopefully that's kind of lodged in someone's mind out there. I really appreciate your time, Jamie. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. I look forward to meeting you again in person before too long and having a drink and discussing some of the bits that we maybe couldn't put into the podcast as well. Yes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for that, Jamie. There's a lot to love about Jamie and Catherine's story, but what I really like is that the businesses have always been vehicles to give them the lives that they want. In an industry where the narrative's often led by hustle culture, it's so good to hear about the focus being on working together, living where they want to live, and tucking the children in at night. And none of those things detracting from the obvious success that they've enjoyed. If you would like to learn more about Jamie and Escaping Gravity, you can find links in the show notes and at howtosellanagency.com. You can also find links there to more about me, Matt Bennett, and the services I offer as an agency advisor, mentor, and non-exec director. You can also find the mailing list there to be notified when new episodes of this podcast are released. Thank you for joining me and Jamie on this episode. I'll be back soon with another tale of how to sell an agency. Music